A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, Listen to another parable. There was a property owner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug out a vat, and erected a tower. Then he leased it out to tenant farmers and went on a journey. When vintage time arrived, he dispatched his servants to the tenants to obtain his share of the grapes. The tenants responded by seizing the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. A second time, he dispatched even more servants than before. But they treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, They will respect my son. When they saw the son, the tenants said to one another, Here is the one who will inherit everything. Let us kill him, and then we shall have his inheritance. With that, they seized him, dragged him outside the vineyard, and killed him. What do you suppose the owners the owner of the vineyard will do to those tenants when he comes. They replied, He will bring that wicked crowd to a bad end and lease his vineyard out to others who will see to it that he has grapes at vintage time. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected has become the keystone of the structure? It was our God who did this, and we find it marvelous to behold. For this reason, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will yield a rich harvest. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After all I've done for you. Haven't we all been guilted by that line? It's usually followed by, and this is the thanks I get. It's like the stereotypical Jewish mother you see on TV sitcoms or in the movies. That's what I hear when I, I read Jesus' parable for today. It's a summary, as Matthew saw it, of the history of God's involvement with humankind. The characters in the parable are easy to identify. The landowner is God. The vineyard, which the owner so lovingly cared for, is Israel. The tenants are the leaders of Israel. The servants that are sent to the tenants to collect the owner's share of the grapes are the prophets, who are always treated badly. The son who is sent is the Christ, and his killing is the crucifixion. The others to whom the vineyard would be leased are Jesus' followers, including Gentiles, who are trusted to yield a rich harvest. The message is, you blew it, leaders of Israel. You had your chance, and now we look 
instead to others to do the job. That's really about all you need to know to interpret Jesus' story. It is patterned on the Isaiah reading we heard this morning, an allegory in which God asks, what more was there to do for my vineyard? After all I've done for you, Israel, God expected a harvest of good grapes, but got sour grapes instead. God looked for justice, but encountered bloodshed. And this is the thanks I get? Today's analogy can be extended to the whole planet. The Creator is said to have given us this magnificent world and expects its most intelligent species to take good care of it. God sent us prophetic people, including scientists, to encourage us to use its resources wisely. But leaders in politics and business ignore and often demonize the prophets, and they fail to yield a rich harvest. The God who wants environmental justice and racial justice and economic justice gets sour grapes instead. The giver of this beautiful vineyard looks for integrity and righteousness, but encounters death and a cry of distress. These days, God's prophets warn about matters such as climate change. They warn that major storms could get more powerful and frequent, and droughts and floods could become more severe, and oceans could warm up, and polar ice caps could melt. It's as if God were saying, I gave you all this wisdom with which you could have avoided these disasters, and this is the thanks I get. It's hard not to get anxious when we look at the mess our vineyard is in. We see no rich harvest, just the greed and power-hungry nature of the tenants, including leaders from the fossil fuel industry or the insurance industry or the pharmaceutical industry or the weapons manufacturers or the bankers, all buying influence with actually bribing government officials. To see all that corruption is to worry about a future that could include even more environmental degradation, more pain for the poor, more health crises, more violence. It's not pretty. And if you're stressed out about it, you have good reason to be. But our second reading for today begins with the words, dismiss all anxiety from your minds. Good luck with that. It's easier said than done. Two verses before the reading begins, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. What was Paul smoking? <laughs> the Philippians, to whom he was writing, could have responded, That's easy for you to say. Well, not really. Paul wrote this, letter at a time when he was in deep trouble. He was in jail, having been arrested by the brutal Romans for his missionary activity, being a troublemaker, getting the crowds all riled up and fighting with each other over wild ideas such as the resurrection. He was not only in trouble with the Romans, but the temple authorities as well who hatched a plot to kill him. Now, if anyone had reason to fear for his life, it was Paul. The vineyard tenants 
keep killing prophets. And yet he says, rejoice and dismiss all anxiety. How? Philippians is a sweet letter that is full of affection and joy. Give yourself a treat sometime and read it. It'll only take about 15 minutes. For Paul, the community in Philippi was a missionary's dream. They were so good. (laughs) With them, he could set aside all the troubles of the vineyard. He could take a, a deep breath and just relax and be himself. He was crazy about the people there. He heaps praise on them. I thank my God every time I think of you. I rejoice at the way you have all continually helped promote the good news. He goes on to say, God knows how much I long for each of you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He really lays it on thick all throughout the letter. In spite of the deadly mess he was in, remember he was writing this from the slammer, In spite of all that, Paul's tone in the letter is hopeful and kind and pastoral. There is no sense that he is concerned or anxious about anything other than the spread of the gospel. And he is confident that even if he were to be killed, the good news will continue to spread because of these wonderful Philippians. So he's at peace. He even breaks out into song right there in the jail as he quotes an ancient hymn in the letter. There's no guilting in the letter, no complaining that even remotely sounds like, after all, I've done for you and this is the thanks I get. None of that. He dismissed his anxiety by focusing on the good-hearted people of Philippi, admiring their virtue and generosity. Paul wants his dear Philippians to have the same divine peace that he has found in the midst of his own troubles. Don't we all want that? He tells them about the need for prayer and gratitude. Present your needs to God, giving thanks for all circumstances. Then God's own peace, which is beyond all understanding, will stand guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And in place of all these worries, let your thoughts be wholly directed to all that is true, all that deserves respect, all that is honest, pure, decent, admirable, virtuous, or worthy of praise. Then will the God of peace be with you. I can attest that this advice helps. It is a strategy each of us resorts to in the worst of times, when the vineyard gets desecrated and our profits are harmed. Here's a little dose of divine peace I got recently. A friend recently sent me a lovely YouTube video, which was part of a series in which older gay men and very young ones talk about the challenges of living authentically. In this particular video, the old guy was about my age, and he was having a conversation with a teenager who had recently come out. There was a a deep 
mutual respect between them. It was like a, a kid talking to his grandfather or great-grandfather. <laughs> that deep mutual respect, and they wanted to learn from each other. They spoke of how hard things once were and still are in many places for sexual and gender minorities. The older man told of how he lived at a time when there were no legal protections for people like him, a time when being himself was extremely dangerous and required great courage. The young guy expressed awareness of how cruelty and discrimination can and often do make comebacks. How right he was. I think of how ever since marriage equality was affirmed by the and a movement of insecure and hateful people who are determined to overturn all progress for LGBTQ plus folks the way they got Roe v. Wade overturned. So gay folks and other minorities have always had to do what Paul advised, to stay focused on whatever could give them inspiration and peace. Music and dance and theater, and kind and creative thinkers who give them hope. We have always had to band together and form supportive communities to become new Philippians, <laughs> dedicated to spreading God's news, the, the good news, and rejoicing in the Lord always. It's how divine peace, which is beyond all understanding, stands guard over your hearts, regardless of circumstances. Over the years, I have tried to follow Paul's advice by filling my mind with all that is beautiful and joyous, especially when things looked darkest in the vineyard and my most revered prophets were being abused and ignored. As a younger gay man, I sought wisdom from the older ones. I threw myself into the arts, into my theater work. I looked for inspiration and hope in the works of various pacifist writers, Howard Zinn, June Jordan, Molly Ivins, Jim Hightower, Martin Luther King, and so many others. I filled my mind with the writings of the environmental heroes, the anti-war activists, the social justice workers who were featured in the Progressive magazine. And to this day, I read every issue cover to cover. I found hope in the work of religious heroes and theologians, such as John McNeil, Sister Janine Gramick, John Spong, and Matthew Fox, to name a few. I looked more deeply at the stories of men and women I have known personally, including some of you who knew truly hard times and still, still exhibited that divine peace of which Paul wrote. In my most challenging times, it has been good to follow Paul's anxiety-reducing advice. And don't we need it now when vineyard tenants still give us sour grapes and brutalize the prophets? I think of a very famous remark from Mr. Rogers, the popular children's show host who died 20 years ago. He said, when I was a boy, 
and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To know divine peace, to find the strength to become helpers, like Paul's dear Philippians, to work for justice in the hardest of times, Rejoice always and fill your minds with all that is beautiful. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Divine peace beyond all understanding. How do you find it?